where we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy with a bottle of wine. I'm the host, Miranda Donnelly. In this episode, I chatted with Shiroz Arathia, an occupational therapist who has merged her love of technology and occupational therapy. She currently works as a clinical specialist at a medtech startup and is on the planning team for the Rehab Tech Summit, a first-of-its-kind event coming to you virtually in just a few weeks. Shiroz and I talk all about opportunities for OTs who have a passion for technology. Maybe you're a therapist who wants to incorporate technology into your clinical practice more effectively. Or maybe you're looking for opportunities to use your OT skill set outside of a traditional practice area. You might have an idea for a new assistive device that you'd like to develop. Or you might be a student or new practitioner who wants to learn more about the intersection of tech and OT. If any of those descriptions sound like you, you're in the right place. Before we get into the interview, I want to direct you to the show notes where you can learn more about the Rehab Tech Summit. Shiroz and I talk about the summit, what you can expect as an attendee, how the summit will help you grow in your specific career goals, and the website has even more speaker and session information. Plus, you don't want to miss the promo code for a discounted ticket to the Rehab Tech Summit. This is going to be a value-packed event, well worth the full asking price, but they're offering OT Uncorked listeners a special discount. Use promo code RTSFRIENDS at checkout. I hope you enjoyed this episode and are as inspired as I am by all the possibilities at the intersection of technology and healthcare. So my name is Shiroz Arathia. I am a new grad OT. So I just finished uh, my degree um, in November of 2020, which was not too long ago. I'm currently working as a clinical specialist at a bioelectronics company in the Bay Area. So that's in California. Um, and the company is called Cala Health. So yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. It's really cool to meet a new grad who is not necessarily taking a traditional route in occupational therapy. I think most of us graduate with our degree and then go find a job in a clinical role. And you've chosen to go a different route. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how you dis- how you ended up at your current company and kind of what led you to go this route as opposed to maybe a more traditional clinical job. A lot of the journey kind of started in undergrad, and so I did my undergrad in kinesiology, and I happened to go to a university that was very um, tech-focused. It was the engineers were the bread and butter of the university, so the environment was very kind of electric with, like, you know, pitches, competitions, design challenges, all of that stuff. So that was just kind of like, you know, thinking from an occupational therapy lens now. Um, that was the environment that affected kind of my my mindset and where where I was thinking. And so I, I had the opportunity to do a lot of co-ops and internships, thankfully, during my undergrad. Um, through that, I kind of ended up, you know, working at a startup here, doing some research with an engineering lab there. Um, and we can talk more about that later. But um, that's kind of like what got me interested and curious about technology and how myself in the healthcare profession could bring that in. And so when I graduated my undergrad, um, I was really like, you know, the question most undergrads have is like, if you're doing school after, what are you doing? There's like a million things you can do. Um, and my interest in technology kind of led me to occupational therapy because I knew that we look at assistive technology as occupational therapists, and that's kind of special to uh, or unique to us. Not saying that nobody else does, they 100% do. It's just, I, I guess it comes into our scope of practice um, more neatly in terms of having assistive technology. And mm-hmm. so I did occupational therapy and started um, two, two years ago, I guess, two and a bit years ago. Um, and I always love technology and I want to keep that conversation going, but starting in school, I noticed that obviously they have a million things to teach us and very little time to teach us in. Um, and thankfully we did have a course in technology, but I was 
I didn't feel comfortable leaving everything to like, you know, just that one course. And so I really wanted to start the conversation sooner and see what I could bring um, kind of as an advocate to the field. Um, and so we, my, my, my friends and I, um, we were in a study room after working on a project or something. And we're, I'm like, where is the technology? Like, I want to talk more about it. I want to see if anyone else is interested. Am I the only crazy one here who's like really like tech, tech, tech? And so, okay, let's start a group. And then, um, so we ended up calling and we, we'll call, our group does exist. It's called OTech. Um, it actually started as OTech University of Toronto. So U of T is what we call, abbreviate. Mm-hmm. University of Toronto too, but now it's OTEC Canada, and I'll speak a little bit more about that. Um, but essentially, we were like, okay, let, who do we ask? And so we asked someone um, on faculty about, hey, like, what do you think? And she was like, yeah, do it. It's a great idea. And then we asked like someone on admin- administrative staff, and he's like, yeah, it's a great idea. And we're like, okay, get, I know it's a great idea, but how do I start it? Um, and so we reached out to the student council presidents, and they're like, it's a great idea. We have no money. But go ahead and do it. And we're like, okay. Um, and we're like, does it matter that we have no money? And we're like, no, that's that's a future problem. We'll worry about that later. Um, and we just started a group and we kind of looked and we started really small, being like, who's interested? Um, and we had quite a few people show up and be interested. And they ended up being like our executive team. And then we kind of just brought events and conversations to the class. Um, and it kind of grew into like, you know, another university being interested in joining us. And then together when we realized that there's more than one university and Canada's like, you know, spans a lot of time zones, just like mm-hmm. the U.S. And so it was actually like, like two hours time difference. So it was like on the other side of Canada, which was really nice. And so we're like, maybe <laughs> Canadian OTs are interested in this. And so we decided to make it an OTEC Canada thing. But that's to say that, you know, that kind of helped me also continue the conversation mm-hmm. and be really involved in the conversation while going through the OT program. Um, and, you know, it helped me kind of stay relevant and keep, even just keeping my fire alive um, to be in rehab tech or health tech at the end of the day. And so I think that definitely helped me get to where I am now. Yeah. So it sounds like when you first kind of decided you might want to go the OT route for grad school, I mean, did you maybe expect there would be a little bit more technology related education and coursework? you know, and, th- and that led you ultimately to establish OTEC or um, did you know that it would be mostly clinical work with sort of a dabbling of technology? You know, I'm pretty sure I, I, I had a strong feeling that it was the, la- the latter, that okay. it was strong clinical work with a dabbling of technology. I did do my research in terms of the university. So again, just being very intentional throughout. Um, I, I realized in hindsight that as of undergrad, I've been very intentional in with what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, so with University of Toronto, I actually looked into a couple universities and, you know, I wasn't sure. I didn't know. I didn't wake up one day and knew for sure I wanted to be an occupational therapist. And I think that's okay for students to know. It's okay that, you know, there's there's some doubts and some questions in your mind. We all have them. Um, I actually looked at the professors that, like, kind of instruct and in, are part of the mm-hmm. faculty, um, the instructors and uh, with the kind of research they're doing. And so I looked at two universities. I didn't want to apply it anymore because I wanted to live closer to home. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, save that student budget as much as I could. And so mm-hmm. um, I looked at, I was thankful, fortunate that University of Toronto, which I, and I live in Toronto, so that was home, um, actually had a couple professors who like had research that was in health tech, rehab tech, assistive technologies. And so I was like, okay, this is where I want to be. And I want to reach out to these professors. And, you know, while I'm in my master's, I definitely did. That was one of the first things I did first week of school. I went, emailed them and I was like, hey, like, can I, can I have a chat with you? Okay, let's talk about what you do. How can I get involved? OTEC kind of came along with that, like to help support and bring that to the class. One thing that kind of struck me about 
you know, you describing that experience was looking at the school and the professors, not just looking for an OT program. And that's actually one piece of advice I frequently give to students who are looking and applying it to schools, um, is that looking at what the professors do and research what they're passionate about, what their bios talk about is so important because we have, at least in the U.S., you know, we have our ACOAT standards. And I know there's standards in Canada, too, mm-hmm. of what needs to be taught in OT school. But everybody's going to bring their own personal experiences to the table. And that's part of why we, you know, go to an actual school. We don't just do kind of like online pre-recorded things. We, you know, we want to actually get people's experiences and we can learn really valuable insights that maybe aren't fully contained in the standards. Um, and I think I think it's so valuable to say, you know, what experience these people have and do they kind of mirror what I want? Because those are the best people to surround yourself with. So I think that's really good advice. And something else you mentioned previously um, for your undergrad. And, and can you clarify, did you go to the same school for undergrad and grad school? No, I actually went to a different school. So my grad school was University of Toronto, um, which is more familiarly known, kind of. Um, And then for my undergrad, I went to the University of Waterloo, which is kind of like the very engineer-focused school of... um, Okay, great. Well, and so that's that's actually interesting to me as well. You talked about there being lots of kind of challenges, I'm assuming like kind of hackathon kind of style things with it being an engineering school. And I don't think a lot of OTs tend to participate in those. I know that, uh, I think it was last year, there was an engineering student program that was putting on a hackathon and they needed uh, consultants um, since they were developing some sort of rehab tech actually was kind of the goal. It was very kind of a broad prompt, but we came in as consultants and it was so much fun to collaborate and work on that team. And I just thought, how cool would it be to get OT students involved? Absolutely. earlier on in their education as opposed to just bringing in OTs after the fact. Um, and I think that is such a great collaborative environment where we can learn about ways to use our skill set outside of maybe a traditional clinical role that we're trained for. And so I guess, could you give some insight into what that experience was like with you going in as a kinesiology major, so not quite occupational therapy yet, but going in with that health perspective into a what's often a very highly technical kind of hackathon you know, program? Yeah, so, you know, I actually didn't do a hackathon in my undergrad, but what I did, what I was involved in is worked at a startup, um, Mm -hmm. which is also highly technical. Sure. I worked in engineering labs. And I think, you know, I've definitely- Kind of environment, right, of like highly technical people. Exactly. Yeah. And I've, you know, I did, I did volunteer. I didn't get into the hackathon in my master's when I was doing occupational therapy, but I did volunteer (laughs) because I was like, fine, don't accept me, but I'm going to volunteer and show up anyway. Um, we can talk a little bit about that too, but definitely, yeah. So definitely being in that environment, like for one thing with, um, with the university of Waterloo is there's a lot of, um, startup culture, like a lot of small little companies that come out of these hackathons, these challenges because they, they do exist. And then, um, you know, there's also those capstone projects that engineers have that they have to work on for eight months. And a lot of them, you know, end up trying to pursue it further, um, which is amazing. And so <laughs> I've had that experience where, you know, so I guess a little to, provide a little bit of context in terms of structure. We, with our degrees, most of the degrees there, you have the option to do co-op with it, which means that um, over your five years of schooling, you end up doing two and a half years of work experience um, in addition to getting your degree. And every four months, like you kind of alternate between um, a co-op job, back to school, co-op job, back to school until you graduate. Um, And so this is actually, again, this is very environmental. It's kind of very serendipitous, if you will. Um, I was really struggling to find a co-op job. Um, and this was, I think, my third co-op. And I was like, you know, I just really can't find anything. Um, there's so many job apps I've put out. And we were, it, weren't, it wasn't just given to us. It's not like a placement that you're assigned. It's like you 
write a resume for every single job and you mm-hmm. go through interviews for everything. And I was really struggling. And then, you know, I, um, I had a friend who connected me to one of his friends who had a company, like a, one of those small companies in Waterloo. Um, and he was like, yeah, okay, let's, let's interview you. So I did a pitch and everything for them. Um, and, you know, in the end, they're like, oh, we, we want someone who has a business background, not a health background. And I was kind of, you know, and I think that's important to just highlight because that's going to happen. That's literally life. (laughs) You're not going to get everything on the first go. But he introduced me to one of his other friends who also had a company. And they're like, look, we don't have much money to give you. But if you really can't find a job by the end of the month, I'll I'll, I'll hire you. Um, And it's not because they didn't want to hire me. It's because they honestly did not have the money to to give me. And they just thought I deserved some money. Um, which was fair. And so I'm like, I came back knocking on the door and I was like, look, I don't have a job. I'll take it. Um, and I don't think I would have done that if I wasn't in a state of mind where I'm like, I need this to finish my schooling. You know, like I need this. It's a criteria. But I'm so glad that that opportunity or that challenge, if you will, kind of came to pass because that working for that startup was just a, a great experience. They were looking at automating retinoscopy. So vision, um, kind of like saying if you could automate the refractive errors so that you can get someone glasses in places like, you know, in villages where you don't have optometrists or you don't have easy access to eye care. Um, if you could just, if someone who's trained can just take that and just scan a whole bunch of eyes and get them glasses um, so that they can have vision, education, whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Um, to kind of open up that barrier. Um, so yeah, so I, it was an amazing experience working for them. I did everything. One day I was trying to code. The other day I was doing business. The other day I was speaking for them. <laughs> it was it was all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I was doing lit reviews. Like it was amazing, uh, typical startup fashion. But, you know, from there, I kind of also, I was like, I want research experience. So I found a prof who was so graceful. He was kind of like, yeah, like, I have a team of engineers. We do neuro rehab engineering. We should probably have someone from the healthcare side. You're a kin student. Come join us. And he, like, gave me a voice at the table. And I think that was so important. It's it's hard to, it's not always everyone sees the value in having that that voice that's very, thinks very differently um, and provides kind of different input. But when when they do get it, I think it was a positive experience for everybody. Um, I loved it. And that was kind of my first foray into academic research, specifically engineering mm-hmm. focused, technical focused, and uh, rehab tech research, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I think these experiences were really kind of conforming to, you know, what I wanted, what I enjoyed. Um, and that's kind of what helped in my undergrad kind of build me up for, for OT. I really appreciate you sharing that story specifically about how you were kind of you just you needed a co-op and you went and interviewed and maybe you weren't quite a right fit for some of the companies and this company said come back if you really need a job we can't quite pay you. Um I really appreciate you sharing that. I think it's hard to go out of our comfort zone in general. I think particularly OT students tend to be very high achieving. They tend to work so hard so that they can get what they want and achieve their goals and I think that's such a wonderful quality that many of us have, but it can be hard then when we're kind of denied, right? So I can imagine kind of wanting to make an entry into a new industry or kind of paving a little bit of our own path and then being rejected at the first few doors and just being really discouraged and disillusioned by that. And so I love that you just kind of took that opportunity and you rolled with it and you just said, all right, I'm coming back and we're going to make the most of this experience. And it sounds like that was so valuable and really set you up well for other experiences as well and other co-ops. So I just really appreciate you sharing that. I think a lot of the times we hear how people were successful and we don't hear about the times before that, that they struggled and had to face challenges and kind of make do. Those experiences really do form us. And when we don't hear those, I think it can be super discouraging when we face them. 
for the absolutely first time. absolutely and it's hard like don't get me wrong I I struggle there's days where I'm like I'm not getting out of bed I don't want to do job apps again and again and again mm-hmm. it's, it's really challenging and you know your friends around you are getting jobs and you're like I am a straight A student what's happening this is not <laughs> typical and you're right as OTs like you know we are high achieving um to get into OT school you tend to be high achieving um, you have to be yeah. Exactly. And that's, it's hard. And I think it's, I've learned the lesson that, you know, you need to learn how to fail. Um, mm-hmm. And learn, and it's not graceful. It's not pretty, but it comes with time and it comes with kind of like, you know, being kind to yourself and it will come. Opportunities will come. Just try not to close yourself off to opportunities that you wouldn't think would be what you want. I think that's a great lesson. I think we need that on like an audio clip that people can just replay for themselves over and over again because that's the kind of reminder we need every day (laughs) or every time we try to take on one of these challenges. That's really good. (laughs) And you also mentioned that I believe that you mentioned the researcher whose lab you worked in kind of gave you a place at the table, right? Kind of pulled out the chair and said, we need your perspective. And Mm That's amazing because I don't think that always happens. I think a lot of times we have to sort of fight for our way to the table and demonstrate our worth repeatedly until somebody finally asks us our opinion and asks what we can bring to the table. So uh, very uh, promising that that someone was able to just sort of invite you in and say, hey, I think we need your perspective. Absolutely. And kind of along those lines, I think we're seeing a lot more OTs taking a place at the table, to continue that analogy, um, and kind of working their way into settings that maybe particularly OTs, but other health professionals haven't typically found themselves in. Um, And I'm just kind of wondering, could you give just a brief little overview from your perspective about what kind of opportunities exist for OTs outside of maybe direct patient care and maybe directly what we're trained to do? Yeah, absolutely. I really think going through OT school it's so we learn to be such generalists and like know everything about you know it spans from technology kind of a little bit more tangible to occupational justice and well-being like that abstract concept you know like and we're we're learn we learn about all of it so mm-hmm. really whatever speaks to you and so I think we can be at any table and I really believe that and I think it's just a matter of that passion and that drive and that piece of interest and curiosity to get there and again, like, you know, you might be invited to the table, you might not be. But if, if you're interested, just be like, hey, I have an opinion, like, not even I have an opinion. Sure, I have an opinion. But rather, I have something to contribute. Can, can we have a conversation? Can we have a chat? That's interesting. And just get the ball rolling that way. A lot of times, you know, as humans, we, we tend to be, I don't know, sometimes I think we tend to be naive, um, no matter how much we try to learn. And I think it's great that we're trying. But I don't think people actively exclude us from conversations always. I think, honestly, they just don't know. Um, The question, like the question, we still get the question, what do occupational therapists do? What do you do? Like my family members still ask me that. What did you go to school for? I don't know. (laughs) You tell them what you went to school for. Um, And you try to explain it as best you can, but it's so abstract. And that's why I think, I think we shouldn't like, it's not like we should demand a place at the table, but have a conversation, spark up a conversation. Mm-hmm. I think we can find ourselves in very interesting places. And there's many OTs that have done this that have kind of evolved um, into more niche areas. And I think that's because, you know, it's let's see where the, the road takes us. Take the road less traveled, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really good point, too, that we can sometimes forget that people don't know what we can necessarily offer. Even if people do understand what occupational therapy is, unless they're looking for, again, that direct patient care uh, for themselves or a family member, they might not think of us right away. And that's okay. I think that means we just need to keep 
sharing our story, keep sharing our skill set, being confident that we bring value. And I like that you mentioned we don't need to demand a seat. Typically, when you have something of value, um, you don't need to demand. You can just sort of keep doing what you're doing and just really promote that, um, share what you have to offer. And then people kind of realize, oh, oh, that person's really helpful. I, th- I think it's really cool. I work in a lab that's very tech focused and it's been so wonderful to collaborate with biomedical engineers, with software engineers, and they'll actually call me and say, hey, can we meet? We really need your input on this. And I am just so honored that they would see my value as an occupational therapist in their product development. But that's really given me a confidence to say, you know, I can call you and you have great input that I don't have because I don't have that technical background. And I have input about sort of the the user experience of, of someone who maybe in, in our case is a stroke survivor using a platform and what what might be particularly of interest to them or challenging for them. And just knowing that we have that very collaborative equal partnership where, again, I didn't have to demand a seat at the table. I just, whenever we'd meet, kind of offer little bits of insight and, and really appreciate their insight. And that partnership just kind of organically developed. And uh, this experience has really given me a lot more confidence that we, could, we as OTs can do this elsewhere too. Um, Absolutely. Exactly. And I think it's just like, you know, being yourself, bringing your best self forward with the lens that you bring um, as an OT, as an individual, people will listen. I don't think, I think, don't think our voices are ever going to fall to deaf ears. I think it's just a matter of striking those conversations and not expecting anything in return to start perhaps, but working towards, you know, a, a greater goal and just being a part of the ecosystem. Definitely. You know, I think it's, it's interesting reading some job descriptions that are not targeted for occupational therapists or people with our even healthcare background. And I read through them and I think, oh, I think an OT would be really good at that. Um, So I'll just give an example, but I'm sure you see way more since you are in the startup culture. Maybe you could offer some insight too into kind of what roles you think we'd be a good fit for. But one that really strikes me is a product manager. Mm-hmm. Those are not words that we typically use in our field as of occupational therapy. But when I read through some of the job descriptions, I actually took some notes about some of the kind of key qualities that they seem to highlight. And um, one was very collaborative, being able to work with people from different backgrounds. I mean, hello, on the healthcare team, we're trained repeatedly how to value each other and work together for a common goal. You need to be creative and analytical, a lot of the job postings we'll talk about. And I think that we really strike that balance. We're very science and we also have that art. We have that creativity, but we also can analyze data and make meaning from it. Absolutely. Um, A lot of them talk about communication skills. Um, We have entire classes about therapeutic use of self and communicating. I think we're pretty well qualified for that. And what really surprised me, actually, in a lot of these descriptions was this uh, empathy actually was mentioned in quite a few or uh, being able to see something from another person's perspective or understanding different people's needs. And those were not words or descriptions that I would have necessarily associated with a technical job or with a a technical company. So I was really encouraged by that. And I thought, hey, you know, we actually might be qualified for this kind of role, depending on on the other qualifications. What what are kind of your insights of being in the tech industry, being in a startup culture? Where do you see that we could fit? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think while I was kind of job hunting prior to landing where I am, I was looking into user experience researcher quite a bit. And so user experience designer, I don't think fits as well, um, but I think user experience researcher does. And I think it's because you're essentially doing a task analysis with your users. And we do that with our clients and our patients quite often. Um, It's kind of a staple of OT practice, if you will. Um, But yeah, so a lot of the questions, a lot of the stuff for user experience researchers, um, 
they're looking for, you know, being able to do like breakdown tasks, see how the users feels, like the empathy, um, all of those aspects. And I'm like, well, we, we do this in, in clinical practice. Um, and I think we also have a lot of, a lot of, especially because now that we're a graduate program, um, we have research experience. We know how to conduct like research related stuff. Right. And I think that's just kind of as the, as the degrees evolved to be, um, more grad focused or more, I know there's even a doctorate. Um, so I think there's a lot more research involved. And another, another job description that I saw was like clinic, clinical content creator. Oh, and it's like, oh, we cool. create treatment plans for our patients or clients. Um, and that's clinical content, um, if you will. And so, you know, putting together those infos, inf- informational materials for patients and for their families and, you know, for the team, we do that. Um, so it sort of and- helps helps the clinicians and the patients and the families understand the product and how it's going to help them reach their goals kind of thing or? Yeah. So, uh, so like, it's also kind of like clinical content for their app or for their device, like what the client or the receiver and sees, but I'm saying it, the analogy is that we create content for in clinical practice for um, the patient, the family, we have those Mm. stapled together and are giving it to them. So, you know, stuff like that. I think those are two that really came up when I was doing job searches. And you said your role is as a clinical specialist. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what you do? Yes, for sure. So I didn't actually come across this role very often, if, if at all, actually. Um, but a little bit about what I do. And I can talk about how, how I found my role too, if, if that's of interest. Um, yeah, definitely. So how, what I do is on a day-to-day, so there's, um, we run research studies uh, with our devices, um, actually just the one device right now. And so what we, what we do is, or my role specifically um and and this is we have protocols put together to kind of assess um the device if it's functioning a certain way um and so what i do is i do the assessments with with the patients um or or the research subjects so we call them subjects because you know it's it's not a, a hospital or anything like that um so we yeah just meeting them and kind of walking them through like uh, the de- device helping them set it up and then um, doing assessments that kind of look at activities of day- I, what I love about it is that most of them are activities of daily living assessments to oh, look at cool. how they're they functioning um, in everyday life and I love and I love that I love that this the end point is really are you able to do your ADLs mm-hmm. uh, are you able to do what you need to do and it's and what I love while doing those assessments is the kind of the conversations that come out of it. It's like, you know, I could do this, but I can't do this. I do this instead. Like you realize how creative individuals are to be able to, you know, meet their end goal. Um, mm-hmm. So I do quite a bit of that and just, you know, helping um, run these studies um, from the ground up. And what's great about working at a startup and I have a great team that's that supports me. Um, they're totally open to me looking around. And if I'm curious about, you know, kind of contributing um, in other areas of the company, they're happy to have me do that. And I think that's probably the best thing I could have asked for because, you know, mm-hmm. even when, you know, people think that when you have a job, you know what you're doing. To some <laughs> degree, that's true. Um, but you're still trying to discover yourself. You're always trying to discover yourself and what you're interested you in. Until you have a job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I'm still trying to learn and see what's kind of where, what next, what's next that kind of sparks my interest. And so um, mm-hmm. I love that I'm in an environment that that's condoning to that. Yeah. Something else that struck me, we were talking about kind of different roles and titles. And you mentioned clinical specialist isn't one that you found in a lot of places. And even when I scroll through some of the postings for jobs in in kind of the tech industry, what really strikes me very differently from the healthcare industry and might be of use for the listeners to kind of, you know, if they're kind of new to this space to kind of reframe it, that unlike becoming a nurse or a physician 
or a therapist, which is licensed, registered, very controlled. Right. Unlike mm-hmm. that, in other fields, they can make up job titles. Um, so, for example, I saw one, it was like a solutions engineer. And I actually think that one's fairly common. I, I've actually seen that in a few different companies, a solutions engineer. You don't go to school for solution engineering, right? I mean, maybe there's a program, but that's something you go for. And my understanding, too, is that even like user experience research, you can study that in college if your college has that program. But a lot of people are doing online boot camps. And even mm-hmm. beyond that, if you can market yourself as a user experience researcher because you have experience working with people and doing research, you don't necessarily need to have formal education in that versus if you apply to be an occupational therapist and you just say, hey, I don't have a degree in it. I'm just really good at problem solving. No, you're, you're going to get booted out before you're not even going to get an interview. Right. And so right. it's very different in industries where um, I think that we as people coming from healthcare shouldn't be caught up in necessarily the job titles. And more so just understand that anyone applying to this is going to, we're going to get people from all different life experiences applying to this one position. It's just a matter of kind of who's the best fit with this company, but it, sh- it certainly should not deter us from considering those as a, as a possible career path. Right. Absolutely. And that is so, so important. And thanks for bringing that up. Like that's the distinction that I think if you know, implicitly, you know, but otherwise it's like, no one ever says it. And right. it's, it's so true. It's not a regulated profession. Anyone can be in the role. For example, the role I'm in could be filled um, was, I think was previously filled by a nurse um, and is now like, so it's nice that they're looking for clinical people in this role, but I'm sure someone who wasn't clinical could also do the role. Um, sure. It's just kind of playing to the strengths of having a clinical person on staff. Um, yeah. Definitely. And can you tell us a little bit more about what Cala Health actually does and kind of that product you're talking about that you research? Yeah, so Cloud Health is um, a bioelectronics company, um, and kind of they've they've created a wearable, commercially available device that um, helps modulate essential tremors. And so that's to help individuals who have essential tremors. It's like it's a device you put it on. Um, it's kind of like a treatment. And what what we've seen, or what um, you know, from the research that's that's been kind of found, is that um, it helps reduce the severity of the tremor, whether it's temporarily, and it's variable, very variable based on the individual um, and their tremor, because, you know, as individuals, we're so unique, but their focus is kind of like their their slogan is kind of electricity as medicine. And so they're exploring how um, we can use bioelectricity to help uh, with certain health conditions. And the device is a wrist, wrist, wrist worn device that uh, looks like a smartwatch and it kind of sits on your wrist. It does tell you the time. Um, and it, it's just like provides like an uh, electric pulse calibrated to an individual's tremor and that should help with tremor relief. That's kind of the hope. Yeah. And from what I was reading, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it's not just treating the symptom of essential tremor, but it's actually changing the brain, right? You're actually kind of tapping into neuroplasticity as well. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So it's kind of um, tracks back up the nervous system or that nerve to see if we can help um, kind of with using neuroplasticity to see if there can be some some change long term to help correct the ailment. That's wonderful, and I think that is such a a clear application of how occupational therapists could be involved. I think sometimes, especially in rehab, especially if you work in adult rehab, there's a lot of these devices that come through the door. There'll be representatives from different companies trying to come in and kind of sell the product to the manager. And part of that is introducing the product to the clinicians. And then the clinicians, we give feedback to the manager about whether this is something we'd like to use in our practice. And sometimes they just really miss the mark. It seems like a cool product, but there's just enough things that they didn't really think through from a patient or clinician perspective that you just think, oh, this has so much potential, but in its current state, it's probably not worth the money. And it's probably not something I'll use every day because of these significant 
issues that I see, right? And so I think that's so cool to have clinicians involved in the design process and in the research process that you guys can actually have um, a voice in changing the product because you're thinking about the client. You're thinking about the the user, which can be both the client and the therapist, um, also the family. Uh, I think it's just so valuable to have that input up front as opposed to feedback later once you've invested millions of dollars into a product and the therapist doesn't want to buy it, you know? Absolutely. And I think it's so so uniquely like, you know, ex- like it's us, right? It's what we do as healthcare providers. And I'm not even going to just say just OTs, like all healthcare oh. providers. It's like, let's look at the person there, right? And I think a lot of technology, a lot of just companies, not just health companies, and I'm going to say like, you know, even like the big tech companies, you create for the masses, you create for mm-hmm. the general population, you create for numbers, because that's what runs a business. And I get that. Um, you need that's a very important skill someone needs to do it and that someone's obviously not going to be you or or I Um, but that said I think what our strength is that we look at the person behind the device who is using the device it's not just are they a male female not stats stuff but like Mm -hmm. are they a grandma are they a grandpa do they need to be able to hold their grandkid Um, are they are they struggling with you know opening jars and Mm -hmm. do they do they make jam for a living and do they need is that really important to like their livelihood their financial status everything you know like we get into those details with with the person on the receiving end and I think that is such an important perspective to bring to these companies it's almost I think a breath of fresh air but it's also for us it's like how do you not already do this um and just personifying the people on the other end and not just like, you know, a very general personification, but rather a, a real, a real person with real experiences, with real impacts of, of their tremor. Um, and I've heard such stories from, from client, from patients, clients, users, um, yeah. subjects, I just call them, they're all in my head, <laughs> kind of a jumble of words. Um, but our, our research as subjects, they're so, so amazing. They have such full, rich lives and just being able to, I feel so privileged and honored that they kind of let me into their lives for that minute or that half hour so that I can have that conversation and try to help them with the tremor. But, you know, they're not their tremor. Um, There's so much more than that. And I think as healthcare providers, we have the gift to be able to see that almost and definitely something we can bring to, to different companies, different organizations. I think that that is such a gift, the way you describe that so eloquently. Um, and thinking about how does technology fit into someone's life as opposed to kind of controlling someone's life. I think, you know, I was looking at the CalaHealth website and um, your product is re- the, the kind of wrist-worn device. It's really kind of subtle. Um, it, it kind of does, like you said, it looks like a smartwatch. I feel like if I saw someone wearing it on the street, I probably wouldn't think anything more of it than it's just kind of a smart a smartwatch I hadn't seen before. Um, but there are some devices that are really clunky and kind of consume the person's entire arm, hand, torso. I mean, there's some really intrusive devices. And from an occupational perspective, I think do the benefits outweigh the challenge? One, the challenge of having something really clunky that you're wearing all the time. Does it actually enable your occupations or does it actually maybe inhibit your occupations because it gets in the way of other things? You know, maybe it helps with those, the handful of occupations that you really need that device for, but everything else it gets in the way. And I just kind of, I just wonder, you know, how do we strike that balance? And I, I think that potentially some people with engineering experience might not consider that. And some people with clinical experience might not consider all the technical challenges that led to that very clunky device. And so pairing those different perspectives and points of view, I think, could be so valuable. And I, I really, from what I was learning about your company, um, really seems like you guys have struck that balance. So that's that's encouraging. Absolutely. I think it's so important. And, you know, life happens outside of the lab, outside of the research lab. That's yeah. always what we used to say. And I'm sure you say that, too, in, in your lab. You know, it's like you can do all the research you want in a lab. 
someone's literally going to walk out of the lab and do something totally different than you <laughs> asked them to do in the lab, right? And that's just, that's life because that's real world. And so I think it's, first of all, real world, world studies are so important for that reason. But also like understanding what a person needs to be able to do in the day. Like you mentioned, it's, it's so important. And you put it so nicely, does the benefit outweigh kind of the inhibition of, of mm-hmm. or the loss of time, the loss of movement, the loss of occupations. There's reasons why things like our Apple Watch are so inintrusive, right? They just do what they need to do in the background and you're happy with it. And that's for any, like even a Fitbit, I'm not endorsing any any certain type of technology sure. here. <laughs> um, but it's what you want. It just seamlessly fits into your life and it doesn't kind of take away from your time and your right. ability to do things. And I think, yeah, I think um, with the Calatrio, um, and that's that's the device that we're speaking of for the users um, from, from Cala Health, I think they've done a great job at, designing that and I think that's you know as a clinician that's very great to see it's like you look at the company and you're like someone got something right and (laughs) um, prior to you know joining and I'm like this is definitely why I want to have a conversation I'm so interested in what you do like do you have an OTL staff it seems like you care about you know like end user goals and task analysis and activities of daily living like and that's kind of how I started my conversation with them so um or at least my interest was sparked with them if you will it sounds like this job is really appropriate for someone in healthcare, right? I mean, a clinical specialist, but particularly your role as an OT and your background as an OT really seems to contribute well to this job. But as we talked about, there's lots of different job titles out there. It's really kind of confusing to navigate that space. So how did you actually go about finding this job and applying for interviewing for it and kind of justifying why you might be a good fit? To kind of say what everyone says, the masses are like, oh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, do networking. That is... <laughs> You know, it, it works is what I'll say. It does work. Um, but it's just, it's an amazing platform, but definitely know what you're getting. It, there's a lot of noise on the platform as well, is what mm-hmm. I'd say. So mm-hmm. what I was doing is kind of while I was um, finishing up my, you know, my third, I, we have four field work placements in OT. I finished up my third um, and I was going into my fourth. And, you know, on while this was happening simultaneously, I was on LinkedIn and I knew I was going to start actively job searching um as of the new year of 2020 and you know we were home and on our computers anyway so it just kind of worked out (laughs) in that way looking at a lot of the jobs um that were posted applying and then you know often turning a blank because nothing came of it because you know it didn't Mm -hmm. have the right credentials or whatever it would be but what I decided was actually very useful um was looking up companies that you're interested in so um, I happened to come across a list of all these companies in the med tech area um, and I kind of filtered it because I could filter it based on things that seemed interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and CalHealth was one of them. And so I, did, I kind of followed this approach with many of them. And then CalHealth uh, happened to be the one that, that worked out for me. Um, I guess it was meant to be. Uh, but what I would do is I'd look at the company, look at what they do, follow them on LinkedIn for one, and then kind of look at their their employees because you can with the with the company you can see who who's worked who works there um, and kind of look at the different people they had and so did they have clinical staff did they have um, you know people in research and so what I really did was I was really kind of trying to use my previous experiences in in clinical and tech but also my research experience because um, as a master's student we do a lot of research as well so mm-hmm. kind of leveraging that master's experience. So what I would do is I'd look at people's journeys and kind of reach out to them in a very genuine way. And it has to be genuine because if it's not genuine, you can tell. We can all tell. Oh, yeah. um, We've all gotten it, those emails and those messages. Right. Yeah. Right. And they just don't get responded to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Right. And so 
honestly, it's like if you have a genuine curious question for someone, you reach out to them. So I reached out to a couple of people being like, hey, your journeys are really cool. Can I learn? Um, sometimes these people were in like clinical engineering roles, clinical specialists, not clinical specialists, but like research coordinator roles, user experience researcher roles. And so I um, reached out to one individual from Kalahal that I now work with. And I was like, hey, like, you know, you went from academic research into industry research. And I find that really interesting. I also have an academic research background. Can we chat? Um, of how you made that transition and really I wanted to learn about her transition like how, like I've I'm finding like you know apparently research in academia and industry is a whole different world and I didn't know that before and so I as I'm learning this I'm like hey let can we chat and she's like sure let's chat um, and so she was like obviously and not everyone will respond to you and that's okay but she was nice enough too and um, we had a conversation and she was like you know what this is really you seem really cool like perhaps like you know my manager would find you interesting and at that time they didn't have um, an opening or anything but you know I got I got to talking and um, over some conversations she's like you know there is actually a position would you be interested and so that's kind of how it started and honestly I think genuine curiosity but definitely keep that going like that happened I want to say like nine months after I started job hunting and the idea, like, but just, just knowing that, you know, that nine months was probably a lead up a process of refining my skills of being able to like, you know, talk about my story, talk about my journey, improving my resume, all of those things. So that when this opportunity presented itself, I was ready for it. Um, had I, had I not been ready, maybe I wouldn't have gotten it. Right. And it's, I think luck is a, plays a factor a hundred percent, but you have to be, prepared you need to be the person who that luck is going to shine on um and you only get there by going through that journey and the, the hard challenging bits of it so right well and the more people you reach out to again genuinely you're not just trying to blast everybody but the more conversations you try to start odds are good that one of them will result in something fruitful right and even if that what's fruitful is more experience again like you said kind of marketing your skill set and sharing your journey um you know that's already even worth it even if you don't get that job Exactly. And just to add to that, like, going back to like, thinking how like, you know, we are humans that try to know everything, but we are limited in terms of the knowledge that actually exists out there. And, you know, we don't have other people's experiences. And I think those stories are so valuable. And so being able to reach out to them and learning what they kind of know, in a nutshell, also kind of adds to our understanding and perception and how we perceive the world. And I think that's so valuable, because it makes you more of like a, you know, person who understands the gray area a little bit better. Yeah. Um, you will. That's a great point. I'm also wondering, you know, we talked briefly before about how you and some friends founded Otech, but mm-hmm. how did those experiences, you know, having those guest speakers, having that, those networking opportunities kind of contribute to your, your journey into a startup? I, I'm excited to talk about this because there's one thing of like participating in these kinds of events for the class that we put on, but also and I would tell you as a student, if you're interested and this doesn't exist for you, start something um, mm. that does. Because even just in addition to like running these events, a lot, me and my friends and um, our exec team, we were, you know, reaching out to people um, yeah. and just trying to advocate for our group, whether it's, you know, asking for money from the school or, uh, you know, like reaching out to be, building those cold connections. And I think it, it's, well, for one, it's definitely gave you something to talk about. It's like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a co-founder of a student organization. We do this. Would you like to chat? And, you know, people love students, which as a student, the most valuable thing um, to have. Don't be ashamed to call yourself a student is what I'd say. You're very resourceful because of all the resources your university has and gives you. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, everyone wants to help a student. Everyone's been a student. It's hard to be a student. 
and if you honestly come with genuine curiosity, I, people aren't, I like to think people are innately good. So they will at least give you something, um, hopefully. And so, yeah, it's just like, hey, I'm a student, I'm doing this. And I'd love for you to come and chat um, with, like, we're having a panel or a speaker session, can you please speak? And, you know, it would be great. And most people say yes, they're like, why not? Um, you know, this is such an amazing opportunity. And so that kind of being on the planning side or behind the scenes of it, you got to build those relationships. And while, you know, attending is also very, if you attend an event and you're not planning it, talk to the speakers, you know, like write down one bullet point from their 10, 15, 20 minutes spiel of like something that you resonated with you or you had a question with or even just introduce yourself you know it might be weird hi I'm Sharose it's really nice to meet you I just wanted to say hi and they'll be like oh hi nice to meet you sure no other conversation after that if, if there is nothing to talk about but you did your part you met them so that you can go back and be like hey we met at this event and they might remember you they might not but you know you you did it and even if that's just a practice thing even if it's like I don't really you know they're doing working in a different space um and I don't know if I want to work in that space ever but just practicing to go up to someone and say hi so that when there is someone who is in a space that you are interested in you are less anxious um, to do so and it's I still have email anxiety okay so I'm doing all of this I don't think that ever goes away and that's okay it's not about getting rid of these things that challenge us or that make things difficult for us they're there it's okay Um, and just rather being like you know like take a deep breath I can do this and the more you do it the easier it gets that is true um, so, you know, for, for those of you listening who have that email that needs to go out, write that email um, and send it out. That is great advice. I also, I mean, I think in the time of COVID, this sounds extra scary, but something I found to kind of push myself a little out of my comfort zone, but it's been very um, fruitful and productive and created some really good relationships is when I go to a lecture, even if I'm going with a bunch of friends, I don't try to sit next to my friends. Maybe I'll sit next to one, but I try to at least have one person on the other mm-hmm. side of me that I don't know. And I do that because in the natural breaks between presenters or while everyone's waiting to get started, you know, you can strike up conversation. And it's amazing some of the people I've met just because I chose to sit next to someone I didn't know. And so, again, during COVID, that sounds really scary. We don't want to be near anyone we don't know. Um, but I think as we start getting back into in-person gatherings, um, just like putting yourself out there and just striking up a conversation, you don't need to have an agenda behind it. It can be a pr- good practice opportunity of just getting to know someone you don't know. And you are it's amazing who you'll meet. There's so many interesting people out there. Everyone has something very unique to share. And so you get to kind of make those connections. That's actually how I've met many of my podcast guests. Absolutely. And like it's everyone's, everyone's story. I think you'll realize it's building those real relationships, right? A connection is, sure, connections are important. But I like to call it more like, you know, relationship building. Like yeah. you really want, you really want to care about these people. You really want to get to know uh, get to know them, see how you can help them too. I think that's really important. How can you give back um, to them? And I know as a student, it's like, well, what, what can I do? Well, you know, ask them, be like, have just have the door open, be like, hey, um, let me know how I can, you know, if ever in, in life, you find that you need, you know, my kind of skill set or you need, you want to chat about something, I'm here as well. Let me know how I can give back. And I think that's so valuable. If you do something like, I don't know, if you do like paint nights, if you like are a paint instructor, like, be like, hey, like, if you ever need, like, you know, um, something for your your team, I'm happy to, you know, help out and do do one kind of like throw those in. All of us come with our Great. special skill set. Um, definitely volunteer what you can. I know there's someone who um did taxes on the side, and they're like, yeah, like if you ever need, I thank you so much for your time and for helping me out. If you need help with taxes, let me know. And I'm like, yeah. wow, that's such a useful skill. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> That's very good. I like to have that skill. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, but definitely, it's, uh, the build, power of you know building those relationships, and you don't know how far they're going to go. You're surprised what what by the people who you know you reach out to, what they can contribute, and what they will end up meaning in your in your journey. Um, so definitely underrated to co- go and do that and foster those relationships. Agreed completely. And now you, as part of OTEC, are one of the keynote speakers for the Rehab Tech Summit. Yes. Can you give me some insight into what are you and some of your co-founders you know, going to be sharing during that keynote address? Yeah. So we're actually talking. We're so excited. We were just like working on our slides yesterday. Um, we are so excited to kind of bring to the student population and anyone else who's interested in learning, if you kind of you know want to help encourage students um, where you are. Um, but in s- essentially talking about how as students, we can take charge and we can also, you know, be involved and get involved and create something from nothing. Um, well, we're going to share kind of our journey as OTEC um, Canada now, I guess, OTEC Canada and how we kind of went from, you know, being an idea to being a one campus thing, a two campus thing. And then now um, having that kind of goal and vision to become a, can- a Canada wide um, thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for those students who are like, what can I do? How can I do it? Like, give me the raw, like, I, and I know as a student, and I hope students listen to this before, because literally as we're writing the slides and the script, we're just like, so what? So what? Why as a student do I care to be here? What are you telling me? Yeah. Um, and so we are thinking about you. We all were or are current students. So we know what it's like mm-hmm. um, very innately. And it's what can we, we're trying to just kind of give you what we did, um, what we do. And if something is interesting there for you, please follow up or like, you know, take from it and grow your own thing from it. Um, also, we'll all kind of introduce our roles. And it's really interesting. Our team is kind of all over the board. There's people who are really like really want to be practicing clinicians, people who are academics, myself working in, in like a tech company, another friend working in insurance. Like we're kind of all over the board when it comes to yeah. OT practice. Um at least for those of us that have graduated and those that are an undergrad, like those are, sorry, those who are still in school have such amazing things that they're on their horizon too. And so we'll also kind of share those journeys. So if you're interested in just reaching out to one of us, you're more than welcome to do mm-hmm. that too. It's kind of, um, let's, let's kind of show you the, the good, the bad, the messy and help you kind of start up something where you are from scratch. This kind of reminds me, though, that even though, you know, your talk in particular is really going to be empowering for students and maybe other people in the academic space, that this summit is really set up to uh, benefit quite a wide audience within sort of the rehab health space, not just for occupational therapists. So before we get into the kind of details of the summit, can you just give an overview about what is the Rehab Tech Summit? Yeah, so Rehab Tech Summit is going to be a three-day virtual summit, um, and it's running from February 19th to 21st, um, and it'll showcase a mix of pre-recorded and live sessions, and so, you know, it's going to be a great experience, and what's nice is that the sessions will be available on demand and accessible for 90 days after, but to speak a little bit about the mission of the summit, I think our goal is to share knowledge with therapists and students on innovative technology companies that are making an impact in healthcare, and really demonstrate that there is a role for rehab in health tech. And so I think we want to kind of empower and encourage rehab professionals to adopt health technologies into their practice um, and learn about the things that exist and lean into some non-traditional roles if they're interested in making those changes. That's great. I think that's going to be really appealing to quite a few people along their journey from student all the way up to maybe clinician who has been in practice for a long period of time and is looking for something different. Uh, So I'm really excited that the summit is going to offer 
relevant content for people all along their journey. And I noticed there's a few different tracks that people can kind of take or a few different avenues that uh, this would be kind of an appropriate summit for. So could you actually just go through those for us so that listeners can start to envision themselves um, and their future kind of in one of these tracks? Absolutely. Um, there's So there are four summit tracks. And so um, I'll kind of name them and then I'll talk a little bit about each one, just kind of a sentence or two. Um, so there's the career growth track, the tech curious track, the inventor track, and the student track. Um, and so starting with career growth, it's the track for therapists who work in technology or who want to transition into a role um, that's industry facing. Um, the tech curious track is for therapists who want to learn about tech offerings and enhance their current clinical practice. Mm-hmm. So if you're like a, if you're a therapist who loves um, clinical practice and doesn't want to leave that, but definitely wants to bring tech to it, maybe tech curious would be a good track uh, for you to follow. Um, there's the inventor track, which is for therapists who have their own company or product or idea they want to bring to life. So if you're kind of like, you know, the entrepreneur side of you um, is coming to this summit, that's definitely a track for you. And then the student track. So this is for um, current rehab students or new grads who are planning for future opportunities and um, want to build their skill. Right. So it sounds to me like you'll still have access to all of the talks and all of the sessions, but those are kind of the tracks to help people see kind of how their personal career goals fit into the content provided by the summit. Exactly. Yes. So it is accessible. Sessions will be available to view on demand and they'll be accessible for 90 days um, following the track. So even if you like follow a certain track, you can definitely come around and be like, oh, like, you know, today I want to learn a little bit more about this. Um, And you're, you're welcome to do that. So definitely I'd encourage you, you know, 90 days, watch a little bit a day and but be intentional, right? Be intentional in what you do. Um, come find your goal, set your intention, and then come um, and have a great time with the summit. Yeah. I'm also really struck by just the variety of professional backgrounds of all the speakers. So even though we're coming from an OT perspective, since it's OT Uncorked and we're both occupational therapists by training, the Rehab Tech Summit is really not just for occupational therapists. It's for really clinicians or anyone who wants to really enter the rehab tech space. So could you talk a little bit about the kind of varied backgrounds of the speakers and kind of what different perspectives we can expect to hear? We definitely have very, very interesting um, backgrounds for speakers. I'm looking at like the keynote speakers and we have um, Dr. Lily Liu, who's a PhD and she's the Dean of uh, Faculty of Applied Health Sciences, which I think is now the Faculty of Health at the University of Waterloo. Also an OT, she's an OT by background, but academic kind of lens. Um, And then we have Sarah Thomas, who is like an accomplished leader of innovation. um, And she's an expert on with startups, large corporations, investors, all of this stuff. And um, definitely, I think she combines her OT expertise with like operational, clinical, entrepreneurial experience. And uh, it's about global design. It did strike me that there's quite a few speakers who have a lot of executive experience in both very large companies and also in startups. So we're getting a really wide range of of experiences, even going into rehab tech. You know, I think some people can envision themselves in a smaller company, but there's also potential for these much larger organizations. So I'm really excited to be hearing from some of these folks who have executive and operations experience in these broad, you know, larger companies, but they actually have a healthcare background. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's so valuable to see how, you know, how we can grow in our in our clinical roles. And so um, so there's definitely the keynote speakers. And those are kind of the speakers that I, I, I shared with you are definitely the, the keynote ones. There's also amazing skill building workshop speakers who kind of will bring their own skill um, to to kind of get to you and to share and how to like, I know there's mm-hmm. going to be a networking one on how to use LinkedIn to its capacity. Um, there's oh, my, that's so helpful. There's, 
Exactly. And there's like different, like, you know, if you're starting your own company, there's, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's someone speaking about how to do that. And then there's mm-hmm. the creating the past speakers who kind of talk about their journey. So if you're someone who likes to hear about, okay, but like, what is someone's story? How do you get there? What are the challenges, the trials, tribulations? There's a lot of those too, where some people are like, you know, coming and they're willing to share their story with you to hope that, you know, something sparks an interest and definitely uh, there's also health tech life seminars, which is kind of like a panel discussion around company and culture um, and clinicians. So definitely very interesting uh, speakers. Uh, a mm-hmm. whole, I'm interested. I know I often go back and read. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to see? This is exciting. I'm very excited. And so I, I hope you are too. Yeah, I'm excited about the fact that they're on demand because the actual summit's from February 19th through the 21st of 2021. But you, like you said, you have access to these talks for 90 days. So unlike, you know, a normal conference or summit where you have to just kind of absorb it all and process later, you can actually kind of go through these little by little and really just kind of process what you're hearing and um, actually reach out to these folks as well. I, I imagine a lot of them will be sharing contact information. And so you can actually kind of start practicing some of these uh, relationship development skills by kind of reaching out to the folks that really resonate with you. And um, that is so valuable. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm like, you know, if you want to reach out, like, I would be happy to do that. And I know I'm just one of many people speaking at, at the summit. But I think we're all here because we're like, we want to help we want to um, show you what's possible, and kind of help you on your journey. It also kind of struck me, you were talking about and please correct me, what is it called? It it was lifestyle? What was the, the segment called? Yeah, so there is one called health tech life speakers. Um, and it's definitely on our website. So it's a discussion about kind of how culture and company life functions um, mm-hmm. and what you need to know. That's wonderful too. I mean, we talked a lot so far in this in this discussion about how the culture between industries is quite different, but not just in the way that we post jobs, but also just the way we function and the way we collaborate. And I think that it's going to be really helpful to hear, well, how could a job like this or a role like this or a pursuit like this fit into my life. I think a lot of times we kind of know maybe what it looks like to have a clinical role and that can be really comfortable potentially, right? Um, we can kind of know what what to expect, but then kind of venturing out into something new can be a bit scary. And so I that's going to be really helpful to hear kind of what is the culture of these industries like? Is that a culture that I would really thrive in? And then there's also um, a skill building workshop or I'm sorry, yes. there's a whole speaker series of skill building workshop. And I think that's what you're mentioning, for example, like with LinkedIn, Yes, exactly. So there is a skill building workshop um, and a list of speakers. I'm There's so many speakers. This is going to be a value packed summit. <laughs> There's so many amazing. Each bio I read, I just was so impressed and excited. Right. I'm just really excited to hear these folks and what they have to share. Yeah. And so I think the skill building workshops are really cool. I know uh, one's going to talk about kind of like building an app and how, how that experience is. So if you're interested in building an app, I'm sure that'll be amazing. I think that's going to be Carla. So definitely catch her her chat. And then um, there's going to be other individuals talking about like LinkedIn and how to use social media um, to your advantage. So lots of cool skills. Um, Definitely check out the list of speakers, figure out where you want to go. Yeah, very, very cool. And there's other, I'm seeing two um, speech pathologists and physical therapists, health executives that maybe some of them have clinical experience and some of them um, just have executive experience, but it really just deeply embedded in the health tech space or the med tech space. And there's also something I should add, there are partners coming to this as well. So companies that are interested in hearing from us as clinicians, we find yourself looking through the exhibitor showcase, and you're like, that's very cool. 
strike up a conversation, go up to them and be like, your device is cool. Or if you think, you know, I looked at your website because we can do that because it's virtual. And have you considered this? Have you considered that? And, you know, those conversations can really spark some kind of hopefully connection. Um, And you can see where that goes. I'm not saying go up to them and be like, can you give me a job? But um, (laughs) definitely kind of start the conversation. It's a great opportunity to do so. It'll be an amazing, an amazing weekend. Wonderful. It's just all these people with such valuable experience just kind of at our fingertips, literally because it's virtual. Um, We can just (laughs) kind of reach out and and just kind of learn from them. So I am very excited about this. I I think too, these summits, because I've I've been to a few and particularly since COVID um, kind of limited what we could do in person. I think these virtual summits have really brought together a sense of community for like-minded people. There's so many people who maybe feel like they're operating in a silo. They feel like, for example, I'm an OT and I should just want to do clinical work my whole life. But these these tech startups, they really are interesting to me, but but I could never do that. That's not what my training's in. I need to stay the course with OT in a clinical role. I'm probably the only one who is trying to deviate towards, you know, a health startup or a lifestyle technologies. And that's just not the, the case. There's so many people with just really great experience in the tech industry who also have clinical backgrounds. And I love that this kind of brings a lot of those folks together. And we, I think, all thrive when we're in community with like-minded people. And so I think these summits, in addition to the content they provide, just that community moving forward. You mentioned, you know, we can kind of choose who's on our journey with us, but we can't really choose them unless we know they're there. (laughs) I completely agree. Yeah, this is, it'll be an amazing opportunity to kind of, you know, even just realize and grow that perspective of, you know, what's out there, what exists. And even if there's like one single thread that you are very curious about, I would ask you to pull that thread, dig deeper, find that person who said that sentence or that word and you learn more, be like, tell me more about that. Um, And that's kind of your opportunity. It's a safe space. We all, um, we're all going to be really curious. We encourage you to be curious and kind of, you know, follow up um, and make it the most it, can be for you. We're trying our best on our end to make it as amazing and as useful for you. Um, but definitely, um, you know, be our partners in, in making that that final connection and taking that kind of into your own hands too. Hmm. So as a as one of the team members, you know, putting on this summit, what are you most excited about? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I'm actually excited about the uh, partner showcase. So see the, the companies that have kind of, you know, agreed to come on board. Um, um, I think it's it's always really cool to have conversations with people who are not just like-minded, but also those who have different backgrounds and different trainings. Mm-hmm. And um, I always think yeah. inventors and innovators are so cool in the way they think. They think so differently. It's a, it's almost like something that I have a hard time being like, how could you just create a concept from nothing? How does that work? Um, but definitely <laughs> just going up to them and asking them. I'm looking forward to that, seeing who's, who's around, um, who will be. I think there's some really amazing people we're expecting. And so um, I'm gonna, you'll find me there come find me and join me. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be finding you. And and just want to put this out there again, that we do have a promo code. So we have RTS friends as our promo code. So if you're interested in the summit and you go on the website and you go to purchase your ticket, make sure you use RTS friends. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be all over uh, the promo for this episode as well, but it's a great opportunity to get a little bit of a discount um, while also just taking full advantage of this summit. It's well worth the money, but we also get the bonus of a discount. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely, Miranda. And honestly, if there's students listening, um, there's a student price too. So definitely, you know, look for that. We've really considered, you know, being, being student friendly. 
Yeah. And there's different tiers of tickets too. So you can kind of customize the experience based on where you are in your path and what you're looking for, particularly out of the experience. So definitely take some time to look through those tickets. But yes, the student student VIP ticket seems like a, just an incredible value and a great opportunity for students. As we kind of close out this conversation, I always ask my guests for a book recommendation. Part of that is selfish. I love to read, and so I'm always looking to add to my book list. But I also know that um, reading for me and for many of the listeners is a way to kind of continue to develop ourselves personally and professionally. So I always ask, you know, what's a book you have read that you found very valuable or that you've really enjoyed recently? Yes. So you know what? I I struggle with reading. Um, I'm like, oh, I love reading. I love reading, but I never get to it. But you know what? I just finished a book and I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, And so this actually, I think, you know, if hopefully if there's students listening, if there's anyone listening, but this book, I guess, is kind of going to be catered more to the younger population listening. And that's The Defining Decade, um, Why Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them Now um, by Dr. Meg Jay. Um, Miranda, have you heard of the book? Oh, I read it. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry. It's not a book that you can, you know, read, but maybe reread. It's such no, a it's great what, I even read it. I probably read it mm, six years ago. I mean, I think I read it maybe shortly even after it came out. I did a book club with it. So, oh, it's a great oh, book though. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know actually when it came out, but it kind of like my friend was like, hey, read this book. I want to talk to you about it. So I was like, okay, wow. My mind was just blown. And I think um, it's it's a really good book to help contextualize kind of, you know, um, your 20s, the defining decade it's referring to your 20s. What's really nice is that um, I think it really kind of gives you perspective as like a young, young 20 and who's trying to figure out like, what am I doing with my life? Where do I really, ma- does this matter? I'll figure it out when I'm older. Um, right. Really gives you some context, really builds it in. There's some really great arguments. And, you know, you don't have to agree with everything that she says. What is what I love about it? You can have your disagreements. Um, for those individuals who are kind of like, you know, a little older, I think, this can be very validating as a book too. Like I, I, my sister's older than me and I told her, I was like, I want you to read this book because I know you're, you're like almost turning 30. But I think I was reading this and I was like, you do this stuff. Like I'm as my older sister, I've seen you do this stuff. Um, and just as using that validation, but also just using it to kind of figure it, like just tie things in and like push you into your new decade. I think um, wherever you are in your journey, I think it's a great, great book to, to read. Definitely pick. And it's short, so it's not going to take that long. Yeah, it's pretty easy to read and it is research based. So again, it's one of those sort of pop science where some of the research you might kind of question with your, you know, academic lens and say, hmm, I wonder, but it, it gives you some good insight to kind of go a little bit deeper into it. And I think you're right. It, it is pretty empowering, you know, to say that right now we um, like what we're doing now matters and not in a high pressure way, but in a sort of an empowering way of, of yeah, we, we can make a difference. We can pursue what we're interested in. And, and that's a good thing. Um, and I think that really actually fits into our conversation really well today too. Absolutely. Yeah. And if, if like, you know, your listeners, you're here, um, you're already on your journey. I think this book would be something that you would really appreciate to add. Absolutely. I will add it to the show notes um, so that anyone who's interested can link to it and decide if that's something they want to read. But two recommendations here for it. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, for talking about your experience. It's been so valuable to hear, you know, all the way from when you started as a student um, to now as a professional out in industry and planning this summit. Just yeah, how much you have explored the kind of marriage between healthcare and technology and just kind of helped to sort of create this ground where we can all explore where we kind of fit into that picture and um, kind of where our career paths might lead us. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Miranda, for having me. 
Um, I am so excited to hear about everyone's journeys. Everyone's journey is unique and we're all growing, learning, trying to figure things out. And so it's nice that we can all do that together. Thanks for having me, Miranda. Of course. Well, we'll see you virtually at the summit. <laughs> yes, we will. See you soon. In this episode, I'm reviewing a Pinot Noir by The Seeker, which is an international wine brand, and this specific wine comes from France. I first discovered this wine when my now husband came out to Ohio to visit me. We were living in different states, and so whenever he would come into town, we would always have fun trying new restaurants, and one of those restaurants was the Guild House in Columbus, where we ordered this Pinot Noir. What I really like about this wine, and I think is a sign of a well-developed wine in general, is the flavors actually change as you make your way through the bottle. So after it's uncorked, the wine is exposed to the air, and that changes the flavor profile. So over the span of a meal, for example, the first glass with our appetizer, tasted a lot different than the glass we had with dessert, even though it came from the same bottle. Overall though, this wine promises flavors of red fruits and spices, and it goes really well with food. It has a smooth finish and it's not too acidic. I would highly recommend this seeker for anyone who is experienced with red wine or is maybe just starting to dabble with red wine flavors. I chose the seeker for this episode because this brand boasts that nothing gets in the way of them bringing together the best grapes from all over the world to highlight what each does best. The label has a sketch of some sort of blimp or old flying machine. It doesn't quite look like a plane. I'm not sure what it is. And it kind of gives off a sense of adventure. It reminds me of my conversation with Chirose and how each of us brings to the table what we do best. And together with people from other disciplines and experiences, we have the opportunity to use our OT skill set to create meaningful change. We just have to be seekers of opportunity and be open to the adventure. Thank you so much for listening to OT Uncorked. It's always fun to sit down with you and uncork OT with a glass of wine. Cheers! Cheers!